Welcome, everybody, to another episode of the Monitor Keeping Podcast. This is actually episode number 25 for us. So, uh, that's kind of exciting. Yeah. Mile marker there. <laughs> Absolutely. Uh, Kai, what's going on? Yeah, a little bit of everything. Um, so, it's transition season for, for me mostly. Um, you know, but uh, we'll get into that in a little bit. I've just kind of been doing a bit of everything uh, customer-wise for the grasshopper side of stuff. And then the the monitor stuff is still, you know, pretty demanding every day, multiple times a day. Yeah. Um, yeah. I honestly got a lot going on with current babies right now and all that stuff like that and all the, all the adults in preparation. But we'll get into that in a minute. Um, how about you, man? Oh, I actually just started uh, – today is my first day off of – 10 days it's a little mini vacation and uh it's all going to be spent basically here at home we're not going anywhere so i'm gonna get a chance to catch up on some things um today you know it was just i got to put up an extra kind of real bright led shop light just in in the space so a little extra light um moving some things around uh extra power strips trying to i guess streamline all the cords going everywhere make it you know nicer easier to use and, and so i'll be doing a lot of that kind of stuff uh you buy giant surge protectors or they're just a large uh, outlet strips they're just large outlet strips they have the the protector on there of course the little uh, flip on there but it's just um that's for now and then i think a little later this week i'm going to be looking into the uh i have some ideas to to make everything Wi-Fi compatible, um, so it might be the start of that. Dipping my toes into that, so I can. You mean, you mean plugging every single cord into one of those? Well, yeah. So I'm looking at some bigger ones, right? So um, that can do multiple functions for me. Um, do I need it necessarily? No, but will it save time if I can figure it out and make it work for my my place? Absolutely. And that's, that's actually what I want. A lot of times I just want eyes on. I want to be able to control uh, the misters when I have them set up in the, the cages that are recently put together. Yeah. Um, those type of things and the temperature. So if I could hit them with misting when I wanted to check the temperatures and just an overall real quick view, like little mini cameras in the cage, uh, it would save me a lot of time and and uh, the hands-on of having to dig them up because, you know, some of them, as soon as I enter the room, uh, some of the Indonesian stuff just hides. So, yeah, um, yeah. so that would save some some <laughs> some running around when one of them runs out of the cage, runs up my arm, something like that. And now I'm done for two hours while I try to trap this thing in a corner and, and oh, yeah. put it back in the cage. Um you know, so I'm looking forward to that kind of stuff. It's just kind of intimidating if you don't have the time. But now I got this little mini vacation. So, yeah. I mean, the, I, I sent you the pitch. I, I just made a post about it, too. But I, I fished the uh, two younger Dorianus up. And I'm so happy. I mean, I think the last couple episodes I've been saying, you know, kind of took a kick to the shins on, on the project with some things going left and right on me. Um but now it's been, I think, a solid six weeks or so. Uh, the young ones are growing great. The, uh, the other one I got from you, um, doing great. Honestly, a real personable monitor. It's kind of freaking me out. I, He's nice, I still right? go. 
Oh yeah, yeah, super yeah, nice. That's a, that's a good thing. So that way, basically, when we need to later on, um, his better behavior is kind of like, uh, uh, it's it's easier to have a male nice because then he responds a lot better. But if a male's really mean, um, yeah, he can basically, yeah, uh, instead of. Like if the female's the aggressor, okay, that's typically okay because she's you know on on the on the defense and stuff like that. But if he's also aggressive as well, and rather than just kind of being like, oh, all right, whatever, I'm going my way, right? Right. Um, it'll it'll be just a big fight, yeah. So I think what I'll do for now with this project is make sure of the sexes, uh, watch them grow up a little bit more, and depending on what I have, um, add. I I want to say I'm leaning towards two point one right now. Are they together? Um, the, the the younger guys? The younger together, ones right? are. Yeah. So I'm I'm watching that real closely just to make sure. Um, you know, I'm I'm more than happy with their growth. Uh they both look great. They are out together now. They'll stay out and watch me for a little bit. Um, if I come too close to the cage, you know, they dart off in their corners. But yeah. it's those those little steps that I'm I'm seeing, okay, they stayed out this time, you know. Um, as soon as I throw food in there, I can shut the door and they come out looking to investigate where the food is. Uh, so I think that will progress to, you know, staying out when they know foods around, seeing what yeah. I have and, and, and then uh, try to tongue feed them or, you know, stuff like that. Yeah. I, that's what I do is if they're really, really, um, wary, I try to starve them a little bit for like maybe a few days or a week or something like that. And then when I do try to go and feed them, they're basically so hungry that they just charge the tongs anyways. Yeah. Uh, and then that kind of like breaks in the whole, the, they kind of breaks the ice a little bit when they're, uh, when they're wary about taking the tongs from, from taking the food from the tongs or not, you know? Yeah. That's yep. what I, with a lot of them, a lot of my guys now, I just like, all right, you don't want to eat. We'll just hang off a little bit. See if you'll hit the tongs in a few days or something like that. And then they kind of get used to the behavior when I have the tongs. It's like it means feeding time for everybody, you know? Yeah. Yeah. So uh, other than that, there's just um, – I'm raising up the the two clutches of uh, Ackies that hatch. There's another one going to hatch at the end of this month along with – You're bringing um, all those to uh, uh, Pomona, right? Oh, yeah. <laughs> maybe, maybe. So I'm trying to figure it out, um, see if I can realistically make it work um, and get well, down there. As, with... as far as making it down there? Yeah, yeah. So um, so some of them I've already – they already have homes. It's just getting them out there. Um, so next week I'll be shipping off some stuff. Uh, it'll be the last time I ship for the year. Um, and so we're waiting on – basically going to make sure the temperatures are good. Now I'm pretty confident in Aki's going anywhere. Uh, they're pretty robust, so um, I'm not too worried about things. But I'm not also shipping in freezing temperatures either. So um, yeah, it's like borderline. It's not exactly yeah. freezing, but it's like 50s and 60s and 40s, right? Right. Yeah. And then if I do go and end up getting the table and everything, um, or sharing one with you, or I mean that stuff we'll still talk about if it happens um yeah there's the all the baby just, pythons too we just took we just took we just booked our our stuff so um uh, i guess oh uh, you did yeah we like we literally just did it like a couple of hours ago okay um, so uh I, I mean you know i guess you'd have to do the whole um 
negative positive thing or whatever and then the COVID um, yeah just let us know you you probably only really need like half a table right or some some slot spaces or you, you barely at- yeah so i i mean it's just the baby uh ackies and then some baby pythons yeah, pretty, uh, sure that that, I'm pretty sure we'd have the, all that space yeah maybe yeah, some so. maybe some geckos but we'll see how that we kind of like keeping the the gargoyle geckos they're kind of fun so it should have a couple more uh but they'd be real young and then the morning geckos um so that's kind of it over here. I will the well we'll see how the sand monitors go. They should be hatching out right around the end of the month, beginning of January. Yeah. Uh, I can already see the the pattern and coloration on them through the egg. So hopefully that all goes good. Um I lost a, a good portion of that clutch, so the three remaining eggs uh they might stay with me. I don't know. I'm still going back and forth on if I'm ready to keep some holdbacks for that project and, and, uh, going to the future with, cause, uh, I have the, let's see my, I have one pair that's now they're, they're the, the high percentage crosses that are, I want to say they're probably about three years old now or coming up on three years where the other, other two are, um, they are coming up on 10 years. So are they might know that they're coming up on 10 years. So um, just to protect the project a little bit, protect myself a little bit with uh, what I want to do. Uh, maybe I'll hold these three back and, and see yeah. where that goes. So, yeah. And then all the, the Indo stuff uh, that came in, all the tree monitors are doing good. Um, it's time, I think to kind of change them out of the quarantine setups that I have, which um I'll use for some other things. Some are just going to remain open for quarantine setups. And even though I just finished putting all these cages together (laughs) to uh, put them into what I envisioned for them uh, for some, some adult cages. Now a real easy quick fix for me would be just connecting two of these cages together because that would actually be plenty of space. So that's an idea I'm, I'm messing around with as well. Um, But we'll see. We'll see that. I think that's, Something I'll have to figure out this week along with everything else. But other than that, man, um, things are, yeah, things are going yeah. pretty good. I'm excited. I uh, I feel like I'm right. At, even though it's winter, I can, I'm at that decision making spot where I can either cool things down and what we've talked about a little bit and just let them ride through the winter uh, along with some of the pythons. It would be real easy to do just to cool the whole room down. Um, except for where I have the, the Indonesian stuff upstairs, um, and try that out with the whole collection for the first time. Um, it'd be, uh, it'd be worth it because you'd have to wait a whole other year to make this decision again. Yeah, that's true. Might as well try it now. I mean, if if it's not going to hurt you now, you basically just don't fight the winner, maybe turn one bulb off. Or only have the lamps on for so long, you know, feed feed a lot less, and and then carry them for what until at least February. Yeah, I'd, at least the end of February. That way, you give them a good three months almost. Um, that's what I would do. That's what I'm planning to do basically now. I guess I guess we can get into that too. Where um, with my stuff, I'm actually at that transition right now where I'm planning to cut my lights back some more go from my normal 14 12 hour days to only eight and ten hours 
right? And then um, my lamps are basically they're still all the same. I might have moved the 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 basking spot a little closer or something like that to mm. allow to get a good thermal gradient when they're um, you know when they're trying to bask. But there's there's not a whole lot cranking um, in most of the enclosures right now. Um, we're still at you know seventy something in the day, almost even eighties in the day for some of the days. We now are yeah. getting into the sixties in the daytime, so you know that that'll start to change and flow as well. Um, so with the monitor stuff, it's a little bit different this year. I do have some lamps still on, and they they you know they 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 carry the enclosure and without overheating it. So when the lamps are off. It still makes sure the enclosure is about 70, 75, even 80 degrees, right? Yeah. I'm not trying to have it drop too low. But the surface temperature on the floor where the monitors can go to and get down to is a good 70 degrees, pretty constant. Um, and this is their cool spot to basically escape the heat if they want to or go there and relax or whatever. And that's uh, – that's their 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 chill period. So I'm doing that a little bit different this this year this year where most of my cages before were sitting on dollies and mm -hmm. basically um, I'd be losing the four inches or so and um, but at the same time the cages were weren't so cold. Um, last year during this the time that I was really trying to focus on cooling the cages down some more, that was my biggest issue was even if the cages um, weren't as hot, the floor of the cages were barely getting to like 70. So I, oh, want, yeah. Or, yeah, I want to try to achieve 65 and 60 without an issue, see if that will help benefit their chill period. Um, I already know that they can handle 65, um, you know, for for part of the night or whatever, but I'm trying to want to carry it down a little bit cooler, maybe just 60 degrees rather than bouncing between 60 and 70 too often, you know? Yeah. Um, so I'm trying to be strict with that temperature. Um, see, all the cages are on the floor. The third, the, all the basking lamps are kind of still the same. They're nothing crazy, you know? Um, I still use the soft white BR30s rather than some of the PAR 38s. I do have the PAR 38s for the really big four foot monitors because those other bulbs don't do a whole lot and what I'm trying to achieve, right? Yeah. But all the, all the little guys can handle a, a single bulb. And, um, so I got a little bit, you know, I'm trying two things right now. So, and they're overlapping because um, I, I took advantage of the last summer. So, mm -hmm. Uh, it might sound conflicting to some people, but I follow a northern and a southern hemisphere um, breeding pattern or how, however you want to call it for all of my monitor lizards. It really just depends on what's what and um, who's been going already and then who who I think can, can go through the whole process. So some of the normal animals that have been breeding for me already, I'm kind of keeping them on the same pace because – that's what's working for them. I don't really want to change it up too much, right? So, yeah. um, for example, my my mangrove monitors, Varanus indicus, Solomon Island type, they've been breeding for me pretty consistently. So, I'm actually just going to continue my normal northern hemisphere cool down where I've taken them all winter and basically just gave them a chill. So, what I did last year was from mid December or almost late December. Um, all up until March, 
right? So I took mm -hmm. full of March. So December, January, February, and March. Um, so technically three, three and a half months was pretty pretty relaxed and pretty chill. So they very little eating, very little um, major heat to bask. They did have availability to bask, but everything was just taken down to a major taper. Um, and then now uh, my results have been great all year. I've had maybe a clutch every 60 days. Um, her going through the process every every 60 days, almost on point. Uh, whether or not I get fertile clutches or partial fertile clutches or full fertile clutches, as long as I know that's her regimen and that's how she's been going and that's what I've been able to do. So with a lot of other people that have been following my process or other people that I've worked with as well, like, like, um, um, like Cody or, or, um, you know, um, what's her, I believe her name is Leanne. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, and, uh, you know, with the Savannah monitors, basically I encourage them to cool them down and give them a period where it's a lot less food, a lot less heat and their animals basically went months and months in breeding without a problem. And I was, I was also doing that and honing that better with my animals. And so I was able to do some of that with them this last year. And uh, I got pretty good mangrove clutches out of there, probably hatched a uh, good, maybe, I don't know, almost 10, give or take, right? Yeah. Um, and a lot of hiccup eggs along the way, but that, that's all part of my my growth process. So it's, it's okay, you know. Um, but um, now I have animals that aren't breeding that are haven't they haven't been in captivity for that long right so some of my stuff have been in captivity for seven ten years but i also have stuff that have only been in captivity for two years mm -hmm. so they may not be used to the northern hemisphere stuff yet and so what i've done is take advantage of this last summer barely feed them barely do a whole lot kind of keep them drier um you know essentially just not not feed a couple of them a ton and uh, what I did is take them down to a taper where they look almost so skinny that they look anorexic in some views, but they, they have just enough tone on them. Yeah. I took them down to that skinny, not, not, not anorexic, but um, where you're seeing hip bones, stuff like that. But you're definitely seeing very, very little body fat. Yeah. And, and um, when um, they're going through the whole process, I've had a female lay two clutches right yeah two clutches now where um every i think it was every 60 days from summer till now um has been pretty successful now even though um i goofed up on one of the one of the clutches basically left it in a nest bin didn't realize that it was there already right because she there the indicus basically never show that they're gravid they just, <laughs> They just rub eggs or have to mess yeah. up. But yeah, so um, I really didn't. I wasn't aware of it. So I put another girl in the cage. She pulls out one of the eggs and starts eating it. And so I realized there's eggs Oi. in there. And pull, out egg. yeah, <laughs> pull out that egg. That female that laid those eggs are um, going going at it again with another male. And so um, I basically have an, another clutch laid, but the eggs weren't too weren't too great. I, I, I'm not sure. I think it's I might have because I moved them or something like that. But basically, the um, the I've only got one good viable egg from all of that. So 
which is better than you know better than nothing and again oh, yeah. better read of my animals um so you know i have two or three more females that are i'm trying to get them to go through the whatever right now one female not so much i just moved them into that cage a month or two ago so i'm not expecting a whole lot i have another really young female which i call little nine she has like a little a little yellow nine on her um that female is is um basically getting fattened up and growing more now um and then i have lauren which is yeah with a male now and um so i just uh, good, good. hoping to see some stuff uh and it i just want to see a whole it. lot of us are hoping to see some stuff from lauren <laughs> yeah i just want to get some some other stuff going as far as um different colored indicus or more so yeah. like, I just trigger them to breed, you know? Yeah. Um, yeah, that's my, that's my biggest thing right now is to actually get them to get them to lay again and figure them out some more. Um, I've been doing a lot of cage rotations and although it, it is great to keep some of the lizards alive, um, nobody is really adjusted right now. Um, yeah. Kind of like, everybody's in a, in a new spot because I've had to rotate a lot of cages. Animals have had to move. Uh, my males, they're so used to that, right? So they, they'll go and play musical cages from, you know, one female to the next, and then they go into a loner cage because everybody's either gravid or I think they're gravid, and then they can't he can't be with them, right? Um, and so, you know, my males are so used to that, but the girls, the girls are so honed in on – the nest bin and and what's right and what they're used to already that um moving them into another enclosure i probably should be waiting a while before mm. i try anything let them get really really accustomed to the the nest again and um the nest bin or the laying options and i actually have you know what's it's weird right i did all this in-floor heating in some of my cages Nice. Or, or more so, of, I mean, not so nice, but um, they, <laughs> the Kimberleys, it works great. Yeah. The Kimberleys are, are perfect, actually. Um, but the the mangroves and the position the thing is in, um, I have this like PVC sheet, right? And it's uh, it, it encases a, a thing and um, they still prefer to do more or they seem to do better with the nest bins i think okay. they're still not accustomed to my my open floor you know they're able to just dig from the top and they don't have to go into a nest bin they're not used to that yet they're used to that yeah. all being open decor where they can kind of go wherever right but the nest bin is a lot more secure and so i think that's what they might have like they like that encapsulated feel right mm -hmm. they're nesting um so yeah i had uh, i had a female that was basically just digging and digging and digging and just digging and digging and digging and then nothing you know and then i put a nest bin in there and lo and behold um so you know i have to really test these theories back and forth um luckily my animals are 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 you know pretty easy to work with i have some that are um I'd say super tractable on every all the information that I'm able to see from them, you know. Good. Um, yeah, it's just a just a crazy transition period right now. I'm really trying to decide what to do. Some of the animals are a lot chiller. 
Like I have like big Ermius. He gets to be really chill right now and he's just kind of getting fat, just feeding him. Uh, but then I have some other guys that are essentially going right now because it's it's their season right now. So I'm kind of stuck in, be- in between both things. Uh, I kind of just cleared that up right now in my brain because I realized that that's what I've been doing on, on purpose. Um, all my Kimberleys are all shut down. I basically have um, tapered down on their food a lot. They're going to breed a lot sooner. They they typically already want to breed in January and February rather than waiting till the full March and April. So right. um, probably just going to take it easy on them. And then that's some of the hang up I have with the Australian stuff is from experience already that, uh, you know, January, February, they start breeding. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. So cooling them down, keeping them down. I wonder how it's going to affect them. And, uh, cause that, that's kind of their normal pattern. Yeah. Um, all I know is that it gives them a break. So I think regardless, um, they're going to follow the weather and they're going to follow, you know, um, how, how much food they're given too. Um, I've been super strict on some of the food that I give them. So, my Kimberleys have probably only been eating about two to three times a week. And it's like the meal that they can just have, you know, rather than right. having a ton of stuff. Um, right. So uh, that that's pretty, um, pretty consistent with them. You know, I, I am. Um, it sucks because I'm not that cold yet in temperature. So with, with still being 70s and, and 80s, even just last week. We won't even be getting until the 60s and 50s until next week and the following into December. Mm-hmm. So, you know. Um, I'm, I'm there now. My highs this last week have just about been 70, but some of these nights have been like 39 already. Yeah, so, I saw that. I saw that. But yeah. You guys are getting that chill already. Yeah. We're kind of waiting for it. We've been getting this warm fog every night, you know, so it's not like it's a super cold fog. And I'm waking up in the morning without the shivers, and so I, it's, yeah. not, it's not that bad, you know. Um, but I'm waiting for that the weather to kind of play in effect a little bit, uh, at least uh, at least be um, what I'd say just uh, more chilly. Yeah, mm-hmm. more chilly. There are the Kimberleys. I've also moved in front of the window rather than being on top of uh, another hot monitor cage. So um, that's a that's a benefit. While still while they still get to have a, a residual heat going into the nest bin. So I guess, you know, anybody that's listening now, my nest bins never change. They're always there. So even in my cool time, because I don't I don't I don't know what's going on with in within her reproductive cycle and all that stuff like that, if she might yeah. just do stuff on her own without me doing stuff and manipulating it. And just it, it's a it's a wrench, you know, it's one of those things where it's, this this part of science is going to trick you or these monitors will trick you um and so my nest bins never are lacking they're never lacking heat they're never lacking the density and moisture and all that stuff like that they're actually hooked up all the time um so that's if you want to section that off that's a part of my optimum range of temperatures at the bottom and so that keeps part of that part of the enclosure 80 still because the nest bin has to stay 80 so it still radiates a little bit of heat but 
being in front of the window and now makes the ambient temperature a lot chillier. And mm -hmm. so um, I get to still benefit from that. And it's uh, still saving my monitor, still prepared for a nest or uh, an, an, an for eggs to be laid just in case. Um, I'm never just, oh, I'm going to you know cool them down and strip them of everything. That's not really it at all. Everything is still there. I'm just taking down the heat a little bit, feeding a lot less. A lot less humidity goes in. I still make sure they drink. Um, drinking is very key during this period because you need to have make sure they're drinking. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it's not. I'm not doing a whole lot of uh, stripping of all the cage stuff and things like that. I actually, make sure that those are all in line and where they're going to sleep, and make sure they're not sleeping in it too. I, I try not to. There's a thing where you know people think that the nest bin is also the all all time hide not all the time the nest bin is sometimes just the nest bin right <laughs> strategically for that alone so you see monitors right. rarely ever go back there they have a whole different place where they're going to sleep at um that's where it should differentiate sometimes we're wrong too and they, they end up just resting in there a lot so um but yeah man, options it's a lot of uh a lot going on here and i'm still i got one more week roughly before i really play it in and i i even told myself you know like all right mid-december it really starts to change so i'm gonna really tap in on that make sure that i'm paying attention to what's going on um and then looking at the weather it is mid-december when the weather starts to be 60s and 50s and, mm -hmm. and stuff like that so um my diet will then change a whole lot so i'm getting in as much as i can as far as food now everybody's eating just about every day every other day um as far as the ones that are going to be going under um so that's part of the kimberleys part of the mangroves you know they're basically be resting yeah so, yeah. yeah yeah i got i similar things going on now some of it's natural just because the, <laughs> the temperatures of course drop so there's always been that going on um but yeah, with with the collection growing and now different animals from different places, it gets kind of interesting on where to put everything because uh, not only the monitors, but trying to match them up with the snakes in the collection too. Who can do what? And um, you know, I, I think there's a lot to getting some of these, especially wild caught animals, on a system on a change in the seasons. A, a, what, what do we refer to that as a uh, seasonal you say northern southern hemisphere but yeah, um basically a change in everything is right and getting um, that to flip because i have a, a pair of wild caught um carpet pythons ijs and they didn't eat all summer you know the temperatures were perfect in my mind but they didn't eat all summer now that things are cooling down they're eating so they're still flipped on the old schedule or the southern hemisphere type of schedule um, so I can see now I've had them for a little while now, so I can see how it takes some time, especially for adults to adjust to something new. So, uh, for the people out there that are listening to that, if you're getting into a new project, um, be sure that you're, you're willing to commit the time to it because you might need a good two, three, years. maybe even yeah, four years to get them to flip on their own schedule. Yeah. Um, or, or you fight your own temperatures and you set them yeah. up in a way where you provide that for them. Um, 
Yeah. So yeah, and just the reason why we say two four years is because you have to go through so many months in one season. So you know, and sometimes you're not you're not trying to pump them all year, and they mm-hmm. do over break. So in that break time, take take advantage of it if you can. You know, uh, for me, I try to just all right. It's it's cool time. Everybody obviously is wanting food, but I'm not going to be feeding you. You know, they still get to bath. They still get to do stuff. It's just, yeah, definitely not as much food. So if you can be strict on that part, because they're going to want to eat still, they're going to want to do stuff and you just be really strict on that for the next three months. See if you can get that to change on them, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And then to touch on something else uh, we were talking about, uh, I was talking with Kai today um, before we started the show was um, we've seen some different animals in the Indicus family come in uh, different, what seemed like locations or locales, a little bit different looks or different uh, areas for some of these. I mean, the Indicus family is still big and he's yeah. probably needs a little more uh, definition to what's what, but we're talking mangroves, uh, peach throats, dorianus. Uh, yeah, what else of- would you, yeah, tricolors. Um, what else? A lot of stuff in? has been coming in. A lot of rare indicus stuff. Um, not just mangroves, but like peach throats of uh, I think it's Wago locality. It's mm-hmm. kind of like a silver spot peach throat, but instead of having the silver spots, um, you have uh, more of a yellow. It's freckled yellow coloring. It's a lot different than the normal type of peach that's that we get in which is still three or four different localities that come in you don't really yeah. just get one um you know the odd dorianus we've seen over the last couple of years um the melanistic in mangroves that have been kind of coming in i think there's a couple in the country now um let's see here i did have one in my possession but it wasn't mine it was just here to see how it would adapt with everything to be honest, that thing was more scared than I've, I've seen a mangrove monitor in a long time. Um, <laughs> I think it's just what it's been through, you know? Yeah. And then when it's when it's here, um, basically, it I think it got scared of everything that's going on in my room, right? And then there, I have a lot of foot traffic from just that's me and stuff in there, right? And um, it was only wanting to eat like once a week. So whenever I'd feed it, I'd go check it. There'd be just the food is just sitting there dried up, rotten or something like that. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, it was a real tough one to get. You know, for me, if they're going to be producing here or stuff like that, um, uh, it's not that I don't have time to acclimate them all. It's just uh, it's, it's it takes a lot to acclimate a, a monitor lizard like that. So I try to be um, – Try to try to really be realistic on what I can do with some of these animals, and if um, essentially they don't work out, they don't. It doesn't work out too well because you know they 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 don't really mesh in with everything else. You know, mm-hmm. uh, it would just be also another cage taken up when uh, I actually need empty cages <laughs> as much as possible. Yeah, got a lot. Got a lot of rotating males, and sometimes things need to be by themselves or whatever. Um, yep. Speaking of that, man, I gotta. I myself, I'm gonna have to make a decision soon on Jody because Jody, right now, what Jody is, is he's so good with all the girls and he's section mature that yeah. he can get them all to cycle. Nice. Right? He can get them all. That's a good girls. one to have. <laughs> right. so that's why I don't want to 
ever get rid of him, and he's you know one of my gems. Um, little Ermius is still a little bit too young, although he's already breeding, and I think he's um, helped push a couple clutches already. But it's just he's only he's only a good almost two years now, so yeah. he still has some more maturing to do. Um, and I think once once we get to his third year, then I think he'll be more he'll be shooting more viable viable sperm rather than me um at the adolescent stage right now guessing if he is or not so i know by three years they're all ready to go um <clears throat> but yeah man um i gotta actually cool cool jody down just set, once once like end of december hits go he's with lauren now and she's been eating a lot and doing her thing um basically the 30-day mark would mean that uh you know it's gonna be enough trying and then i'm just going to remove jody let him cool for january january february march and just kind of take it easy you know mm -hmm. um, and then just let her let's let let lauren go through the process and see if that's gonna if that's gonna flow for her and have her carry on i can just feed her and she could just lay infertile eggs or possibly a parthenogenic egg and that's that's what i want um gotcha well i'm okay with 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 that with that part parthenogenic clutch or um just the fact that she had a male in there triggering her and stuff like that and he only is on girls when they're 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 receptive he's never really on them when they're not it may be a slight dominance thing but he's not even that dominant like yeah he, he won't just mount them just to mount them <laughs> i'm seeing uh actually on that note i'm seeing a lot of action in uh one of the peacock monitor cages um so i'm just trying to stay low keep the food going um but a lot this one male is basically courting all the females that are with him um so we'll see where that goes but yeah uh, hope so hope you get some some something from that project come on yeah. uh but they are all in really bad so or yeah sort of bad. this year right this year yeah this yeah year earlier this year yeah it didn't work out um but yeah we'll see how that goes but on another note uh i'm sure you saw the clutch of uh savannah monitors that hatched here in the u.s um I I, joe, joe lois right or jay lois i think so so congratulations to you uh, I don't, I think I just started maybe following him, but I yeah, did see yeah. those. So, um, they're, uh, they're slightly banded like one of his adults. Yeah. Which is awesome. If, if you guys haven't seen it, I I've seen a few pictures here and there of that adult, but, uh, it's a banded animal, which is just awesome. Um, so congratulations on that. There's very few in the U S, uh, mm -hmm. as far as captive bred, uh, Savannah monitors. So if anybody is interested out there i would go look this guy up and uh maybe you know when he's ready i don't know what his plans are uh, i never talked to him but uh get in line for some of those because that would yeah, be an man, awesome uh, opportunity captain bread savannah's you know there there is a kind of like a, a little cloud that hangs over them just because people are always gonna be um in competition with the 25 dollar wildcat you know um yeah. but if anybody's really listening on on just the rarity that that is here in the united states it happens you know like with um with other countries in hatching them but uh in the united states it's 
maybe every few years it happens, you know. Yeah, so, I, would, yeah. I would argue there's more lace monitor clutches yeah. that hatch than Savannah monitor clutches yeah. by far. Right. And it's, you know, more people trying with lace monitors than there are really trying with Savannah. So um, there is that price, that price there that puts a dent in for some people. But if you think about it, it's like for that guy who just produced them, make it worth it for him. Go and go and, you know, buy one for the, yeah. the price that he asks or, you know, or work something out with that guy. But um, uh, there's a lot of people that they don't breed because the money doesn't end right it's true yeah right. you're you're losing a lot more if if you know you've had to pay for a ton of electricity food space and time with, with right. just the just the upkeep it's not even raising the babies yet right it's just the upkeep of the adults and and the stress or whatever shoot every time every single time i'm more stressed the price goes up yeah <laughs> the price goes up so um these guys they deserve it they they deserve the the hard work that they went through and and um, to be low ball for like $75 for a captive bread monitor it's it's really tough you know it's it's worth a lot more than that and, um yeah support that you know support captive bread monitors because uh it's it's a thing where people don't because people don't not only support it but people don't jump into breeding it is because they they already see you know that there's right. very little support behind it um, like now monitors has very little support behind it. Uh, there's a handful of guys with Ornatus and, and um, some, Which some are easy to me. <clears throat> right. They're actually really gorgeous monitors. I think you were showing me some pictures of some before, but yeah, there's uh you can find some that are the same type. They just buy from the same group of babies and, you know, either raise those up, get yourself a pair. I, I do think that, you know, People would need to apply more than just heating and feeding to breed these African monitors because mm -hmm. they are from a continent that's a lot different than the, all the other ones that are on the equator or right next to the equator. So uh, there's a lot more seasonal change and everything like that. And if people can apply what uh, me and uh, Linnea uh, apply to her savannas, uh, maybe that'll work for the um, Niles and stuff like that. That's uh it's a big one because we get millions or thousands of them every year, you know, and how many make it to adulthood, very, right. very few with very little breeding aspirations and stuff like that. Don't get me wrong. There's a lot of big ones out there. If you were to have people post up, there'd be hundreds of them, but um, most of those are just pets. You know, people don't have the really the means to care for two, six, seven foot monitors. They're not four or five foot monitors. They're, they're big. So um, right. that's a, you know 10 14 foot cage if you think about it for something that's six seven feet um yeah man there's a lot there's a lot that i think people can do the density of heat the enclosure they basically need to be kept like a water monitor you know um yeah yeah but Which then is crazy. Not, not fed so much you know I, you know, talking to African monitors i've never kept any of the in fact the only ones i've really kept are the savannah project that i'm working on but they are absolute fun wonderful animals to keep for anybody listening uh, i have a lot of the australian stuff some of the indonesian stuff and you stack these guys up to them and it's like i don't know they kind of remind me of a t-rex they're just they, they're big old head big old mouths you know shorter tail um yeah. 
stubby things and but they're they're awesome they're still all monitor um but they're they're very intelligent creatures uh i hate to say cute but i'll go ahead and say cute they're, they are they are just cute they're um yeah they're a lot of people buy them you know and yeah uh, we just got to work on you know a handful of people we don't need everybody because we don't have to have everybody but um a handful of people that are willing to take that 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 Nile monitor um, love to the next extreme, you know, to right. actually understanding them, getting a better feel. I mean, a lot of people can get some, raise them for a few years, and maybe not have the aspirations to breed. So, you know, they kind of have put in the work, but they're not in the same pocket of, you know, goals, right? Mm-hmm. But let's say if you are one of those type of people, you have a couple – basically are growing them raising them up to do the deed you know it's it's quite important for for you to try new things think about new things if if you've already know people are trying this and it's not working you kind of want to navigate what they're not doing and then try to do that um that's that's basically what i've what i've done figure out what people don't want to do or people are what they're not doing and do that try it out Yeah. yeah try that so uh, yeah, it is a they Niles specifically. They're so big, and the requirement for water also I think keeps a lot of people away. But I mean, they're doing it with water monitors already, so it's just like you said, a few people breaking into that, showing also what captive bred babies are capable of. Right. Um, you can, I think you can turn a twenty-five dollar lizard into a three, four hundred dollar lizard, or five hundred bucks, or however what whatever people are willing to pay. You know, which I which I hate talking about. You know, there's the whole um just wanted to keep the animal for the appreciation of the animal and where it comes from which is great but without i i guess for someone taking on that project to do that there is definitely satisfaction in the work uh but to also be able to sell those babies if you're successful with them for something that you can put back into the project put it back in because these people have, we have families, uh, significant others, usually other jobs, those yeah. type of things. So or just we to have support to support it back, you know. Right. Yeah. Got to make it work. And even like, you know, Savannah monitors, unfortunately, I think even if you were to breed normals, like you said, you're going to be competing against the um, the wild caught market, which is huge. I, you're talking yeah. five five dollar wholesale yeah. lots of these things okay yeah. about so, 100 is five dollars right right like yeah. and i mean so in order to compete with that and to showcase and show off how great they can actually be i unfortunately think it might require something like the albinos to come in uh someone to be successful yeah. with it or the pastels or the the different orange undertones or the ivory whites that we see on it's some like, of these this is what i've had to kind of do with because i have the mangrove monitors if almost falls into the same category as them. Right, cheap right. imported monitor that is sure it might cost a little bit more, but still you can sometimes find one for 75, 150 bucks, right? Which yeah. is an essentially a cheaper monitor. Um, I've with confidence standing behind what I'm doing, try to do what I've just said earlier. I turned a $50 monitor imported. Right, you buy six; they're only fifty dollars. Okay, um, on 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 Bushmaster or wherever you want to look, they're, they're quite cheap. So you turn that, 
into what I'm charging now, which is several hundred dollars for one, right? Um, now we're not talking about money here. I'm, what I'm talking about is even if it's a hype or it's a growth in popularity or whatever, I've taken people's appreciation and understanding for these lizards and turned it up a notch, you know? Um, more and more people are into them, more and more people understand them. There's no longer such a, oh man, these things are such horrible captives because they can, they, they can be, you know, the mangrove stuff are basically um, too flighty, too shy, nails are crazy, shit everywhere, bite all the time. You know, they're basically don't make the greatest of captives sometimes, right? Mm -hmm. So what I've did is just basically show people what I can do with them, have people understand them more. And then now, you know, there's more and more of a, an ask for them or more of a demand for them, you know? And if you've right. seen some of the prices that people are, are quoting for mangroves nowadays is somewhat up there a little higher than what it used to be. Right. Um, you know, that dollar 150 or barely 200 bucks. And um, you know, it's all, it's not just because of me, but it's, you know, now that there's a set price for wild caught stuff, people are going to charge more, you know, people are going to scam other people, going to lie to them, tell them it's captive bread, stuff like that. Or people just want to make more just because they realize how much someone can make on um, captive bread stuff, you know. Right. Which there's a lot of work and I basically have a, a price that I think is fair, um, but it's not only – is it one of one because I'm one of one in America right now or very few of me, right? And so – the scarcity or rarity adds to that. Um, just the fact that it's captive bread has been is added to the price of the typical two hundred dollars. You know, so it goes up and then goes up higher. The how tame it is or how pretty they'll be higher. You know, all that stuff adds to the price. You know, um, mm -hmm. what I think as far as all right, these are implications that are what I'm going to tally on. You know, just if they're B grade animals, you get a B grade price, right? And stuff like right. that. So it's, it's almost the same same type of deal where these animals are polished, they're clean, they're captive bred, they're hand feeding, they're imprinted. You know, they grow up to be perfect size, not too big, not too small. They look at them. You know, I have examples of the adults, things like that, and you basically have to do the due diligence. Yeah. Where you know, and it, some of you, I think, see my my online presence um and basically currently always in the groups as well not promoting myself don't get me wrong i'm not i'm not not promoting myself but i'm not just saying hey you look at mangrove monitors go check this out i'm actually there helping every single person that is at my feet or at my doorstep or however you want to say it but that's how i'm promoting these monitors it's not me showing you a youtube and you know, being like somebody else, I'm actually putting the work in with every single right. person that is with me, you know. Um, it's educating. You're building your yeah, own market around you just by bringing a spotlight right. to, to right. what they are. So hopefully, you know, people can understand that's what you have to do with black roughnecks and um, Savannah monitors and non monitors and um, Timmers monitors. And if you get an idea, all of these are monitors that are imported not captive bred 
or very rarely captive bred and basically, you know, end up on a cheap market value, right? And right. They get, they get pawned off somewhere or something like that. And so right. it takes a lot of work, man. You got to actually do the due diligence on, on every single one of those aspects that I just mentioned in the last 10 minutes, you know. <laughs> it's, it's a lot it's, of work, man. Yeah. And for the people out there listening, yes, you can go hit up an importer or whoever they are directly selling to. And you can probably find animals for cheaper at a, at a better price than you might find from a, a breeder. But understand that it comes with all the work that goes into it. The ups and downs. You might spend, you might, you know, you might get a, I don't know, a $1,500 animal if you're in that market for 900 bucks. But are you willing to also lose that animal to yeah. something that's just outside of your hands? Yeah. Uh, are your skills good enough to acclimate that animal? You know, yeah. there, I see a lot of people that buy from Joe or or some other importer or like Chris or something like that and um, basically kill the animals because they just didn't know how to acclimate them right. Right. You know, a lot of us can do it. It's just – not to say that we're better than anybody, but dang, it really demands your skill level. If mm -hmm. you're not up to par with that, you may not want to be buying fresh imports. They're, they're, they're fresh imports. You know, they're, they're right. at slightly emaciated. You're looking at a person that is a normal person that's selling imports that they imported in. And it's, that's the normal gig. That's, that's what they do. But are you prepared for that? You know, it's, what what did you go through this last one? Picking off ticks, yeah. <laughs> animals, animals coming in perfectly healthy, keeling over, right? Just like that, yeah. Perfectly healthy. They were eating. They were doing fine. Bam, just dead, just yep. dead. So, those are the things that people have to prepare for: parasites, not eating. I mean, just the fact of not eating is stressful to most people. You know. Mm -hmm. So are you going to be able to sit there and then be patient with that animal or are you going to be kind of just hasty and discard the animal because it didn't want to, you know? Yeah, um, I have one green tree male who still – he goes up and then he goes right back down. And then um, – so there's there was the four of them that I got and he is the only one where it's like in a week all of a sudden hip bones are showing again and he lost all the weight. So um, – so it's, it's feeding them twice a day with a syringe and a little special mix, uh, you know, uh, stuff yeah. basically and, and feeding them a certain amount of, uh, well, CCs or the syringe full, whatever the measurement is, uh, getting that into them. But now you're dealing with a stressed out, um, uh, compromised animal, and now you're trying to force something down its throat. You're stressing that animal out. So, um, whether he pulls out and makes it, I don't know. Um, you know, was it a, a good amount of money to get into him? Yes, it was. And now, you know, I don't know how it's going to end up with him. I'm, yeah. I'm still hopeful he's going to pull through. So, um, I'm going to keep him, keep feeding him the way I am and whether he likes it or not, I'm going to get his weight up. And I hate saying that, but, uh, I kind of got to take it on and make sure he's getting the extra, extra TLC. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, into them. And that sometimes that means hands-on, and this animal might hate me for the rest of its life because of it. It's, it's um, hours of stress and worry, and sometimes it's 
repetitive stress for weeks and weeks until you know right um that thing actually kind of kicks it into gear or not you know right um but so yeah, we're gonna go with the heavy meds thing. after this once he gets the weight yeah. back up go in with the heavy meds and try to knock all everything out and uh and even then as you know kai even after you know heavy medications it's like you got to be on it yeah. after the meds kind of go out of the system or fil- go through the system and that yeah. can be its own complications. So, right. Uh, so that'll be uh, what what people don't realize is that when you're pumping animals with meds, sometimes that'll keep them off their diet. That'll actually make them sometimes worse because it's kicking their butt. That's what it's mm-hmm. doing. Um, so there, if there's not a um, lot enough umpt in the animal, which when, what I mean by that is the sustenance and and uh, reserves to actually carry the animal while it's um, while the while the meds are doing what it's doing, um, not the animal's not eating, not able to drink really, so it has to have some reserves in it. So that's why it's we recommend before you go into the vet and you do your sample and all that stuff like that, and you, you get medicine. Make sure the animal is somewhat hydrated, and you've um, been giving it some food that it's taken down, so it can handle the the pressure of of the medicine. Right. Uh, and that's where you might make it. So I guess to come back around to it. So when you had a $1,500 captive bred animal versus a $900 wild caught yeah, animal, $3,000 animal. Yeah. You're going to spend how much in uh, vet bills and in medication and in time, basically watching this animal day in, day out. It's not going to be as easy as just drop the food in, drop the water in. Yeah. animals having a good time you're having a good time there's a lot of stress involved and then ultimately you know do are you going to lose the animal or not and um so stress costs a lot of money man <laughs> it does costs a lot of money so yeah heartache um, we, we too. Don't, we're not we're, we don't want to discourage people from getting what they want or anything like that but there's got to be a smart way you want to do it and and you know we right. don't want to set you up for failure either because they're you know in in reality that's that's what we're talking about is got to go through all that hardship of trying to acclimate the animal um you know like my grasshoppers won't always work or or having a crazy setup is not always going to work you actually might need to to do a little bit more like what alan's doing now which he has to pull it out shove a syringe in his mouth basically kind of terrorize the animal a little bit and then you know have to go through with more harder medications so and so, yeah, you know, on another point, even if your setup is great, I would say minor my setups are great because I've across the board for the tree monitors, these are the blues, the blacks, and the rest of the greens, it's working just great. All the other animals are doing just fine. So using that as kind of a baseline, I have one animal that's not. So it's not necessarily just if your setup is is on point that the animal's gonna make it in that situation. Um it, there's possibly something else going on. A, a stressed out animal will find a way to die, um, whether everything's perfect or not. So, you know, learning, uh, I guess my first toes in the water with this whole thing. Early on, I, I had some import animals, but that was almost 20 years ago now. Man, that's crazy to think about. Um, and then there was a long break. And then with the uh, the different peacocks and timors coming in as the first you know, toes in the water. Now I will say those are actually really robust animals. They're awesome. Um, I haven't had uh, the ones I got from you. And then the, uh, I had got two other groups like larger groups and then a few animals just here and there. 
Um, but the larger groups were babies for the most part. Um, but I, I've had nothing but, but a good time, you know, uh, with most of those. Uh, but yeah, the Dorianus, the, the, the other stuff I, I, in the past, I had a couple peach throats, man. They, <laughs> I had no business getting to, into those at the time. Uh, truth yeah. be told, but honestly don't like how flighty they are. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I don't, I don't yeah. like how, how flighty the babies are. I don't yeah. know why I'm not, now, a, I like them, but I, I don't like them at the same time. I had a buddy back then. He, he was doing decent with the peach throats. I, lost touch with him uh don't know where he's at now been trying to find him see if he's still doing stuff but he's not on the radar so i i'm pretty sure he's probably not doing monitors anymore but uh yeah he was keeping a few and now there's a guy uh here in southern california uh verana guy uh he's yeah he's got his he just messaged me okay he literally yeah he literally just messaged me earlier today um that's uh i think his name's shane yeah that's him i think his name's shane yeah so uh, he breeds um he breeds ackies he's got yep. some pretty nice ackies um but um as far as like um he has some peach thoughts too and they're they're small um but mm -hmm. i guess his female or his somewhat uh supposedly female is dominating the cage compared to the ones that he thinks are male um and i told him that was quite quite common where a female is going to um, you know, push around some of the other ones. It's not all the time, but I have females that once uh once they're confident, they're gonna they'll push themselves around for sure. Right, and you know, so starting a new project, being prepared for that, they you might have to separate at some point. Uh, the cage might yeah. be too small. Dominant animal might decide that one of those animals doesn't need to be there, <laughs> and they won't be there if that's the decision that is made. So, um. Yeah, all those yeah, it's, a, it's really tricky. I, um, I'm not sure. I think mine, you know, we've been kind of talking to a lot of people about like, you know, um, like hyper aggression and stuff like that and, and what to kind of pay attention to where when we just introduce them. Right. But um, uh, for me, that's what I'm paying attention to. Right. I'm kind of here all the time. So if there's so much running around and it's not just kind of calm, casual, a little bit of uh, jousting a little bit that's that's normal but if it's a little bit too hectic you know i pull them right yeah but uh when they're together and all of a sudden something goes wrong and you're not around them that's where keeping the mangrove stuff is really a headache because it's it's hard it's, it's if you're not always around and they basically can grab each other throw each other across the cage rip each other up just just because one is irritated with the other one you know mm-hmm so it's a tough it's a tough one to have it's a tough species to work with as far as the the complex goes every every one of them yeah yeah but at the same time as tough as it is that's what makes it fun too that's part of the the sickness <laughs> wanting yeah. to figure it out wanting to unlock it and uh you know show what yeah. they're capable of i think we all have that dream of not only acclimating the animals we get to work with but what are their babies going to be like? And what are their babies' babies going to be like, you know? And uh, not only with uh, color, maybe if you're breeding for pattern or, or color, uh, but also with uh, tractability and um, um, you're, you're separating them, you know, with each generation from the wild. Um, 
and that and you're training the the captives to eat certain foods to eat a certain way to basically be yeah. captives they don't know anything else but in captivity that's awesome you might get to it's that little bit of uh, interaction with a beautiful animal that you would never get to interact without the wild unless it was probably a bad situation so <laughs> yeah um yeah it's kind of interesting uh, that that could be a whole nother argument or another show we could do about all that stuff but uh uh i know we're gonna keep this one short so kai was there anything else out there that you wanted to touch on um i couldn't think about it right now i kind of went over a fair amount of stuff i'm done for the season so it's not a whole lot any you know i think i have maybe one more kimberly egg to go and hatch yeah just just one more and uh this should be due anytime soon, so I'm gonna go and fidget with the egg a little bit and see if I can get it to come out on its own. But nice, um, yeah. Uh, some some of the eggs I don't write the date on; I just throw them in the incubator. So I forget. <laughs> I keep uh, track by my Instagram posts for some of them. I'm like, what day did yes, I post them? Same. All right, that's what I do too. I'm like, all right, that's it's around that date. So uh-huh. let me do back a little bit. Yeah, that's a great way to determine stuff but man sometimes when you got a lot going on it's like i just threw this egg into the thing it was it was just it was dug up and i was like all right it's good the egg, the egg looks great uh let's see here the kyle and stuff uh since this podcast i've been able to kind of clarify more what i want to do just because i was able to talk it out and um you know figure out what's what so jody's got a jody's got a 30 30 day uh 30-day rendezvous a little bit, and then he's going to come out. I'm going to go by himself for a little while. Yeah. Um, he's going to take a chill for at least a few months because he's been actually on the ball with, with multiple females for for all, all year, ever since March. So, um, yeah, he's going to take a little break. Hopefully the other animals that I got going will will be fine. Yeah, man, there's a lot of adjusting because I have this new eight-foot enclosure in. That mm-hmm. thing's been not hard to heat because i'm not even trying to heat it that well yet i'm letting it i'm letting learning it learning Mm. the cage as it's cool you know if it's too hot i don't get to realize what it's like when my house is it's that's because it's i'm fighting the heat you know yeah Um, so right now i'm just he's getting able to bass for several hours of the night and then his cage goes back to 75 degrees and so um uh, that does work against my humidity a little bit so i have to adjust with that um might have to add a heat pad at the very the big ass big old dog dog mat yeah. that i have yeah at the bury that and utilize that i've taken those out since because i've have the different nesting options now but i think mm-hmm. i have to put it back in for winter time um yeah, not 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 my whole not the whole bottom is cold, although a lot of it is on the floor, or all of it's on the floor, right? But some of it's heated. There's a section of it that's not. I think I want to build the humidity up a little bit more. Dude, I've been buying thermometers and they've just been getting canned, man. They end Crapping up out on you. Yeah, they, yeah. they just the monitors do it. They it's like oh, they yeah. just they destroy them. They shit all on them or rip them off the mantle that I have them on or they'll throw them in the water. Yeah. Just... See, I think the way to go, if, if uh, the ones I'm looking at, cause I was talking about wireless stuff and have, so they're basically like these little um, Bluetooth uh, temperature gauges that talk to the computer. Um, 
they look durable. They're made for outdoor, they're, so they should be waterproof. Um, and then I can actually screw them, hook them onto a screw, so they should be pretty durable. Um, we'll see. We'll see because, like you said, monitors find a way. But if they work, great. Now, they're only going to work for me for where I put them directly, you know. Um, so I got to mess around with those ideas a little bit. But, but yeah. I hear you. Those little ZoomEd ones. The ones, with, especially with the humidity gauge. Oh man, oh, no. those... I, I have the <laughs> I have the ones the Accurite from Home Depot. So okay. I bought I buy like quite a bit of them, probably like a hundred dollars worth every every few months. You know, I buy like eight or nine or something like yeah. that. They're like 10, seven or ten bucks or something, um, and they they typically work pretty well. It's I have them scattered all over my room, every single level, just so I can get an idea on what the temperatures are. Um, and yeah, man, it's just, just got to work around it, I guess. So we need to get one of those, um, Alibaba shipments, get an account with them and buy a hundred of them, <laughs> buy a pallet of them, get them over <laughs> here. Uh, it's funny. I, I I this. Yeah. <laughs> oh, you know, um, talking about that kind of stuff though, the, uh, Grant's shop up here, uh, GX three, they're carrying a lot of their own, um, they're going right to the manufacturers and getting a lot of their own bulbs, whether it's uh, ceramic heat emitters, uh, deep heat projectors, uh, just heat bulbs oh, yeah, in I general. Yeah, oh, that. it's so nice, especially the 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 um, fixtures that you can screw with a little bracket into the top that set it, you know, I don't know, two inches or three inches away from the, the top of the cage and just screw into the socket. Uh, he's selling those. It's so nice now because I can just go run over there, grab what I need, and uh, I don't have to worry about finding some stuff on on Amazon anymore. Worrying about who's in or out, I can just kind of. I went and bought a bunch of them just to have them. I think I'm I'm not even going to use half of them, but it left a little scar on me, you know, going looking for something and not being able to find it. So <laughs> I'm turning yeah. into a hoarder. <laughs> yeah, man, I have a. I have a ton of light bulbs just for that purpose. I literally buy like hundreds and I sh they're like strategically shoved underneath and in between everything. Cause <laughs> there's, there's no place to put a hundred light bulbs. Yeah. 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 I feel you on that one. Loved everywhere. All right, man. Uh, I gotta get, get to going. Cause I gotta take Lynn somewhere in about 40 minutes. Yeah. Um, but yeah, we can, uh, All right. Let's close it out. Here. Yep. Um, Kai, where can they find you? Where can people find you? Look at your stuff. Um, they can find me mostly on Facebook and Instagram. On Facebook, it's just Kai Fan, K-H-A-I, Fan, P-H-A-N. Um, and then on Instagram is uh, Big uh, underscore Lizard 103. Um, you're, you're probably able to find me other places too, like on uh, YouTube and stuff like that. You should be able to either just type in my name and find me or look up uh, Mangrove Mecca. That's Mangrove and then Mecca is M-E-C-C-A. Um, and yeah, you should be able to find me on many other social medias as well underneath any of those. Now you, man? Uh, you can find me on Instagram at origins uh, underscore reptile. Um, check out the page there. Check out the animals. And then origins reptile on Facebook. Um, you can also always find us here on the Monitor Keeping Podcast. We're part of the Morelia Python Radio Network. 
And uh, always a big thanks to Eric over there doing uh, all the work he does to get these different podcasts out. Um, great bunch of guys, great bunch of hosts. If you're not familiar with it, go check out their website, MoreliaPythonRadio.net. Um, radio network. It might be network.net. Type in Morelia Python Radio. You will find them. I promise you that. <laughs> and uh, check out all the different podcasts that are there. Uh, pretty much anything you're into, they have or they're going to point you in the right direction. Um, other than that, yeah, I guess let's close it out. Number 25. Mm-hmm.